You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Bob. Is that another picture of Glenn Youngkin? Wasn't Remember that this guy? Remember this guy from yeah. last week? Yeah, yeah. Well, forget about him. Okay, I, I almost had. It was, that was almost an awkward moment when I couldn't even remember who that was. <laughs> uh, what happened is uh, he was a leading candidate to be the third guy in the race after DeSantis and Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this past week, De- DeSantis hired his campaign manager to uh-huh. run DeSantis's super PAC, which is uh, considered a signal that Youngkin is, in fact, not running. I guess you could contrive a, a, a scenario where all the candidates fail and there's a draft for Yunkin later mm-hmm. in the in the year, but uh, that's highly implausible. Mm-hmm. So uh, forget about Yunkin. The, the guy's name was Jeff Rowe, I believe, who got hired away. Anyway, Meanwhile, DeSantis is floundering. No, he isn't. Oh, I'm sorry. I got him mixed up with somebody else. Somebody. <laughs> Why is he floundering? Everybody's saying he's floundering. I see no uh, sign that he's floundering. He's 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 issued a series of uh, a walk back, a right, walk back on Ukraine on the very thing we was, discussed last week. Right, the phrase well, I highlighted territorial dispute, which yeah. I was kind of puzzled to see him use, dismiss it as a mere territorial dispute. Right, that phrase indeed came back to haunt him. Here's what he said. Right. Here's what he said. If I could snap my fingers, I'd give it back to Ukraine. Ukraine has a right to that territory. And so on. Uh, and well, he 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 um, but he went in the right direction. So he you know he went too far in terms of you know poo pooing the whole war, and he he's corrected, and now he's a, about in the right place. There's some weirdness to it. Uh, first, uh, 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 he seems to say that it's a territory dispute now. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't ter- territorial dispute at the beginning of the war when Putin tried to take Kiev uh, and all of Ukraine, which is true. Uh, but that begs the, that that raises the question: Would he have been forcefully intervening to stop that non-territorial war of aggression uh, early on? He doesn't have to answer that now since it's it's too late, presumably. But. Um, I, and the answer, I think, is yes. He would have so, aided so Ukraine. So he reaff- he did he reaffirm that he still considers what's going on now a territorial dispute. Yes, I think he did. I, I, I mean, now he said now now what's left to fight about is territory. Is, That's always what's left to fight about. That's well, what no, wars was, are about. But it wasn't about the existence of Ukraine as a sovereign state. That he thinks that's been decided. Well, when you violate, when you take someone's territory, you are violating their rights as a sovereign state. You are you are denying their you know validity as a sovereign state in some sense. Anyway, there was a very uh, good article in the Atlantic pointing out that the uh, when you consider these things under the Wilsonian legalistic framework, which is you know has it been declared this is a violation of a border recognized mm-hmm. internationally that often screws things up because it obscures the it obscures the equities in the case within the equities in this case which is a lot of those places speak russian it was a you know ukraine was part of russia before crimea mm-hmm. is an important base there's no way russia is giving up crimea etc 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 so uh, but it's completely impractical to to surrender to that as a, as a general principle you, you you just have to if the world is going to be orderly you have to agree that you recognize something as a sovereign state it stays that way but and by are, the way right. by the way unlike a lot of territorial disputes some of which trace back to the very beginning like i think probably india and pakistan have never agreed about kashmir probably russia was recognizing ukraine as a sovereign state you know 10 years ago as this article pointed out that is because they wanted those people to vote in Ukraine, and they were confident that there would always be well, a, can, a regime. Love, in, none of this matters. We can't well, have a world where uh, where borders Bob, are respected. You, you advocate letting Russia keep some of the territory, so you're abrogating this principle well, and, that you're and, you're so so uh, you know strongly presenting. So don't get don't get mad at me. Get mad at no yourself. Way. You're no the way. one. No you're way. the one that's whipping no out on international law. Now wait. As a practical matter, if you get yourself into a situation where the alternative 
to letting somebody take territory they've acquired via aggression is a significant threat of nuclear war or something like that. Okay, but first of all, that doesn't mean that you have to uh, either, A, recognize uh, Russia's right to that, or B, uh, not continue some form of punishment, if only a token form of punishment. Um, it, it, you, DeSantis didn't recognize Russia's continued, you know, didn't recognize Russia's right to that. He just he he's he is where you are now, and you're you're well, saying he's sound floundering. Like if you're right, Why, that he's what? dismissing it as a mere territorial dispute. So, but anyway, my point last week was well, part of my motivating point last week was, you know. Is this for real? What is the real DeSantis on foreign policy? And I'm more convinced than ever that there is not one. There is no one. Like so many people who run for president and have been governor, he's given it almost no thought. He has surrendered to all the lobbies you have to surrender to if you're governor of Florida. Then when Obama was president, he criticized Obama's hawkishness because Obama's a Democrat. But so far as we know, there is no real Ron DeSantis when it comes to foreign policy. Well, yeah, there, it's weird. The New York Times has made strenuous efforts to find a real Ron DeSantis. Good luck. But but, but I agree that I the, the, what troubles me most about it is the way he repeats these phrases that somebody has told him, like Putin is a war criminal or, or Ukraine is a gas station with nuclear weapons. These little things that he should question if he had an independent mind. Instead, he uh, repeats them. That suggests that he's, he's just a collection of things experts have told him uh he but said, he's he said, wanna, just to be clear he said russia is a gas station with russia sorry weapons. russia is a, okay. sorry russia is a gas station with, with nuclear weapons um uh and uh so uh which is crazy i mean but uh he 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 did it was a little subtler than that but the point is i think you're right that, that but he went up in the right place and that's the best you can hope for in a lot of u.s presidents right. because you American elections are decided on domestic policy and foreign policy is often an afterthought. Yeah, but if you are a restrainer in the foreign policy camp, what you're looking for are signs that the candidate actually feels restraint and they're not just talking the talk and then will blow with whatever political winds prevail once they're in office. All signs are that DeSantis is the latter. You know, it's kind of like Trump. I mean, Trump, Trump said he had these convictions, and, and I think in a way, Trump, in a certain crude, instinctive way, is closer to having them than DeSantis uh, is. But basically, when he got in office, he did whatever the blob told him to do. Mm. No? Yeah, no, he said, he said yeah. I want to take troops out of Syria. And they said, no. He said, well, OK. And by the way, uh, U.S. troops uh, got involved in a little dust up. Uh, the um, well. Uh, an American contractor was killed in Syria, where, by the way, we shouldn't be. We're there in violation of international law. We're stealing their oil and giving it to somebody. Uh, an American contractor was killed by somebody we said were Iranian proxies. They were Syrians. So we killed a number of them, I gather, with some kind of uh, retaliatory strike. That's actual news. Um, but anyway, back to uh, Trump. Well, then I'm getting out of Afghanistan. No, you're not. He's like, OK, never mind. Well, that that, that you're, you're making the case for DeSantis. Trump was ineffectual. He said all the right things and then he got rolled and didn't uh, work his will on the state. DeSantis' whole pitch is I will get it done. I will work my will on the state. He, he's hmm. adopted a fairly restraining position, which is, in fact, very, very close to yours uh, and mine. Oh, got it. And 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 uh, and uh, and. You know, he's he's kept in check by the base, which believes that and he will get it done. He, he's not a guy to get rolled let, by the let, bureaucracy. So and the, any president is going to, you know, Thomas Jefferson bought the Louisiana Purchase, you know, made the Louisiana Purchase was against all his principles. Any president is going to go against his principles. Just to be clear, if you look at what DeSantis said across the board, you know, China, Middle East, Europe. Russia, Latin America. He's nowhere near. I'm talking the, about foreign Ukraine. Policy. I'm talking about on the Ukraine war. He wants to, that's because he's managed he to, to say virtually he nothing. Wants to, he wants to support Ukraine, but force them into mm. uh, into force them to negotiate where maybe they wouldn't want it. That's yeah, that's fine. That's, that's, that's fine. Uh, OK, so um, the major problem of the day he's fine. That'll that'll do it for me. OK, I that's, mean, you're. You, 
you know, your 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 boy Burns is a restrainer, yet he's there fighting the Ukraine war along with Biden. So I don't know what what whether past history is any prediction of future behavior. Well, when you're director of the CIA, you, you know, you, you do your job. Well, you don't have to be director of the CIA. But but he hasn't said he's against a, a settlement. He hasn't we don't, said he differs we don't, from, from, we from don't, what you're we attributing don't, to me. We, don't, we don't know that Tony Blinken is enforcing a settlement behind the scenes. Well, I think we know that he's uh, not one of the more dovish in the administration. Um, did, did you get that email I sent you? There was a very good offer in the Atlantic sort of... Uh, critiquing the Biden administration's policy on Ukraine by some guy who's, I think, Mario Loyola. Is that the guy's name? Don't know. Uh, at the University of Florida and uh, or some Florida university. And um, it, 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 it brought up another instance where he claimed that the U.S. sabotaged uh, a possible peace in Ukraine when Europe tried to uh, enforce the Minsk Accords. And and uh, reduce it to a, in fact, a territorial dispute. And so the U.S. said we're like, not at twenty twenty one. What he said? Okay, he said well, it was twenty twenty. There were much earlier. Uh, well, he so found he was, a later one. Yeah, yeah. No, Minsk was the big opportunity. A lot of people think the Minsk, uh, the Minsk Accord, the Minsk Two, and uh, you know, it was a reasonable deal. Would have been tremendously preferable to this. Uh, some people claim Russia wasn't really up for it. I don't know. I don't. I don't think we we were willing to find out. Um, anyway, some he also makes the point about the rule of law obscuring the equities and not really solving the problem, precisely because it doesn't it obscures the equities. Oh well, then that's not a good piece. What obscures what fucking equities? Well, read it first. I mean, the problem with the rule of law is that the U.S. does not enforce it, it consistently. It hypocritically the, violates it. No, all the, the time. equity. The equity is that the Donbas wants to be. A lot of it wants to be Russian, and or at least is ethnic Russian. And uh, fine, but you and the and the and the the border that was drawn uh, ignored that. Just the same way, a lot of borders that are drawn by international bodies, including the one in Iraq, right? Uh, but surely you agree. Equities on the ground. There are a billion cases like that. Surely you agree. Right. They have to be settled through diplomacy and mutual agreement, and and can't just be casually. Uh, handled with the use of force the way Russia did. Surely you agree. I think it should be handled through diplomacy, but the fact that one side says, oh, the rule of law says you lose, ha-ha, you know, screw you, doesn't help the negotiations. Well, it would if we abided by the rule of law. This is my big criticism, is we're we're completely hypocritical and we're in no position to tell anybody what we're to not do. A, <laughs> well, know? I'm talking about... Ukraine versus Russia, the rule of law obscures their bilateral negotiations. That's nothing to do with whether we are hypocritical. Ukraine has every legal right to say, sorry, we're not budging if they want to as a legal matter. Well, then you're not going to have much success with diplomatic negotiations, are you? Um, well, it, it, that you could run into trouble. I'm just saying, you know, uh, I, I, I support I support the rule of law. I don't support the U.S. I mean, approach. It, I mean, Crimea, it. it's, in, you know, it's insane to think that Ukraine is going to get Crimea. Yet the rule of law says Ukraine gets Crimea. Well, maybe we shouldn't base our entire foreign policy on the rule of law. Well, Mickey, you used to uh, worry about uh, immigrants demanding that California return to uh, return California to Mexico. You genuinely worried about that 20 years ago. Well, it used to belong to Mexico. And there's a lot of there would be, you know, a lot of people of that ethnicity there. Why not? What right do you have to deny it to them? Used to belong to Mexico. Uh, you're, you're saying that the treaties that ended the war, I'm I'm arguing to defend the rule of law. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm saying that the, uh, you know, we have it. Come take it, buddy. <laughs> uh the um so but you would the, you would understand the if they thing, blew up if, if if terrorists blew up your house as part of a separatist movement you would you would understand those are the equities on the other side of the rule of law argument i would say the equities are mainly on my side but uh you know i'm, well, you, I'm not i'm not against the law i'm just saying it it, it has these that apply, especially applying it to foreign policy, has has right, these uh, well. This is what I was saying last week. 
this is, this is what I was saying last week. This is the difference between me and a right-wing restrainer. Exactly this. Exactly this. On the right, there is very little respect for the actual rule of law, even if enforced uh, non-hypocritically. Um, in the I, but DeSantis right, did not, you said DeSantis evinced that uh, disdain, and he doesn't. If you read the Piers Morgan interview, well, again, full of saying that you know, Ukraine has the right to this and the right to that and the right to this. Well, again, DeSantis, you know, there is no DeSantis on foreign policy. I mean, if if the, if uh, if all of southern southern United States and southern Arizona and southern California were filled with Mexicans who wanted to be part of Mexico, I would say that would be a different situation than the situation that prevails now. And well, that's what you thought would... was going to happen. You see, you're ready to you're ready to surrender the homestead. Good. That's commendable. Your commitment I, to I, equity is commendable, and I think well, you, that's not you what happened. Job as a DIE guy that's, at some company. That's, that's not what happened. What? Well, since it's since Stanford, is, it turns out Stanford has ten thousand administrators. It seems like my chances are good. Mickey, I have to make a confession. Last week, I made DEI, uh, not DIE. It's DEI. It's DIE. Driving, die. Die. <laughs> um, I last week I made a factual error. And, of course, we always, you know, note those moments with a uh, moment of silence, which we'll do. But uh, I want to credit the first person to call my attention to it of several. There are people paying attention to this podcast. James Scythe said, uh, love the non-zero with Mickey, but Princeton was a 13 seed when it upset number four seed UCLA in 1996. I had said it was a 16 seed upsetting a top seeded. UCLA. Uh, part of my excuse is that UCLA was the defending national championship when Princeton beat a champion and uh, when Princeton beat it in 1996. But the other thing I want to say, Mickey, as long as we're on the subject, is last week I confidently predicted that Princeton would beat Missouri in the second round of the NCAAs, the day after our podcast. They did. Tonight they face Creighton. And first yeah. of all, I want to say, you know, you you can you if you look up in the Princeton cheering section, you can tell. The, the, you know, serious Princeton fans from the hardcore Princetonians by whether they're wearing a mere Princeton shirt or a Hoagie Haven shirt. I saw one of these last week in the cheering section. And this is what you want to look for. Hoagie Haven. And that separates you from mere traditionalists? Well, separates me from a lot of people, uh, but including, you know, tourists who buy shirts at the U store or something. But um, anyway, I'm just saying you may see this very shirt if you look closer on TV. Finally, trivia question. So they're playing Creighton. Again, the underdog. I'm predicting Princeton victory in slightly less cocky fashion this time. Um, but trivia question. Name the former coach of Creighton who died this week. Willis Reed? Correct. I'm huh. surprised. I thought I was going to have to give you a little hint. But uh, correct. He was uh, head of Creighton for four years. The great an inspirational New York Knicks center. Um, he was an inspiration. In a famous moment in 1970 or so. Right. So uh, Bill Bradley was on that team, right? He was on that team. And he was on the last Princeton team that made it to the final four in 1965. And, and he outscored, he, he was matched up against Cassie Russell of Michigan, who later became an NBA great. And, he outscored him by like 42 to 20-something. Unfortunately, but, he was the only guy on the team who scored. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, he fouled out with like four minutes to go, and they were like 12 points up or something. Princeton was. It was some, it was a big lead with not many minutes left. Bradley fouls out, and they collapse. Sad. Um, what can I say? Um, I'm sorry I'm missing the, the March Madness. It's a great, a great institution. Is Farley Dickinson still in it? No, I think they lost. Another great New Jersey institution, though. We call it Fairly Dickinson here. In okay. Those guys. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to get back to Ukraine eventually, but what else? This uh, Oh, the Trump oh, we, indictment? You, we, got, we got Ukraine, uh, the Trump indictment, uh, DeSantis, and s some Silicon Valley Bank, you know, follow-up and uh was the iraq war worth it follow-up but the last one is 
Can it go we, to the paradigm? That's just you trolling me, right? On the on the right. Like no. saying saying wasn't it worth it? That's just a troll. No, I just said I had one point to make, which you, which was that point. Yes, <laughs> the, the the ritual Bob troll on Iraq. Yes. Well, okay, let's get get it get it out of the way now. The all I'm saying is, Iraq is a moderately better place now, I think, than it would have been mm-hmm. if we hadn't intervened at a tremendous cost in life. Okay, and 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 the U.S. reputation and Americans' faith in government and our foreign relations. Okay, was it worth it? I, I I think it's you know I I think not, but it's hard to it's hard to say for sure. It's harder to say for sure than if Iraq was clearly a worse place, and we could say sh- for sure the war wasn't worth it. Now you can argue either side, and 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 as time goes on, if Iraq continues as a even a close to a democracy, and uh and it and the economy somehow picks up, that it'll look better and better in retrospect. And one day before he dies, George W. Bush will crow that it was the right thing to do. He probably is crowing that now. John Bolton no, was crowing it this morning. Who? John Bolton. Oh no, Bush. Bush is very apologetic in his memoirs. I think. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, good for him. I don't. Maybe not for the. He, he says he was sick mainly about the WMDs, but uh, I don't know what he says about the overall. I mean, that is such bullshit. Do you realize the the U.N. inspectors, they had to kick the U.N. inspectors out of Iraq to invade. They had inspected more than 500 sites. And the key thing is, I mean, first of all, Iraq had let them inspect every site. They're sitting there being allowed to, to inspect everywhere they want. And we kicked them out so we can invade and look for WMDs. And and if you ask, well, which sites had they inspected? They had inspected all the sites that our intelligence agencies told us the WMDs were at. So we knew that our intelligence wasn't worth shit because we had checked it. And still they went in. I mean, they, there's no they weren't denied access. They weren't denied access to certain places. Not one fucking place. And don't listen to anybody who says otherwise, because it's bullshit. What about under Bill Clinton? There was some fuss <laughs> about not being let into various. Yeah, well, facilities. they didn't let the inspectors in until uh, you know the Bush administration. At least, uh, at least this round of inspectors. Yeah. Huh. So um, I, def- I defer to your expertise on that. Thank you. I assume you agree that uh, we should be very wary of indicting Trump. I, I don't. I don't think we're going to well, have a at, big argument on this at this point, because Trump has gone so overboard, sh- sh- showing this picture of him with a baseball bat, calling for. Saying that there'll be death and destruction. Lock him if up. He's indicted. Lock him no, up. No, I just think if he doesn't indict, Trump will get a huge bonus. He'll look like this strong guy who mm-hmm. wore he picks up a baseball bat and they don't dare indict him. He's such a strong guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's gonna help him win the nomination. And if he wins the nomination, there's a threat he'll win the presidency. So at this point, I think you gotta indict him just to deny him that victory of show of strength. Then you can let, let a judge dismiss it because it's a crap case or have it peter out, but don't have Trump thwarted off with a baseball bat. Sounds like you're not totally averse to the idea of political calculations playing a role in the decision about whether to indict. I mean, no, of course, not at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess it, I'm not either in a certain sense because I'm I'm leery of the political implication. I mean, look, I do think as a rule. Uh, you know, and not all countries have this tradition, but I think as a rule, you should err on the conservative side in deciding whether to indict not so much just a former president, but somebody who is still a political actor and may run for office again. And now to come to the present day political calculations, I would say, especially when a third of the country is convinced, however crazily, that he was illicitly denied the election last time around. Um, and but, various other things if, like like the current state of the country. If, if if the charges were clear and the violation of law was clear, I would say go ahead. But, but it's, it's, the but charges are insane. Well, I wouldn't it's like you have, far, to see, because... you have to you have to prove that he made this hush money money to further his campaign, right. not to avoid embarrassment or hide it from his wife. Okay, hard to prove. Well, not only uh, that, beyond he... a reasonable doubt, you're not going to prove that. They couldn't prove it against John Edwards, where it was a much. Stronger case, I think. 
uh, or at least mildly stronger case. So mm-hmm. it's just it's you know it's it's a it's 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 a loser. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Now because it, it's only a misdemeanor unless uh, it was for campaign purposes. I mean, if, in which case they argue that it was implicitly a donation to the campaign that should have been reported. I mean, it's just pretty. It's just pretty weak. The, the, you should forget about Trump being put in jail. Okay, the strongest case everybody says is the documents, the fucking documents, which is a trivial case involving the archives. Okay, I mean, forget it. That's a, that's that's not a strong case either. So, well, they're all I, weak. Okay, it's possible it ain't that happen. It's possible that there's more information about that that I haven't heard that would lead me to say it's it's actually serious, but. Right now, given the fact that Biden turned out to have documents all over the place, it looks pretty weird to indict Trump, unless there is a whole lot more. We don't know about what he was doing with those documents and why he had them and so on. Um, And then there's the there's also a a potential indictment on the January 6th stuff. And that's everybody say the strongest is the document. So that implies that the January 6th stuff and the Georgia stuff are weaker. Well, I do think if it's a case of incitement, on January 6th, I'm told, I gathered from somewhere, that as a matter of law, that's very weak. I mean, I do think, as we use the term incite, uh, he incited, and I and I think that moment with the Pence tweet uh, after the Capitol had already been breached was, uh, in some sense, criminal. But but as a matter of the way criminal law actually reads, um, no, it's apparently weak. And I didn't even know the Georgia, what the Georgia stuff is. Can you I mean, give I know- me... The phone call. Oh, that the perfect phone call. phone call. Okay, okay. Well, you know, that was pretty... I, I don't know what the law says, but that was... Uh, I would consider that grounds for impeachment. But but it's weird how, in some ways, the bar for impeachment can be lower than the bar for, uh, you know, felony indictment. Well, I don't think it is. I don't think I think that's close to being a felony indictment. He made it clear that he thought these were the number of votes that he deserved under wait, law. Wait, you think it is... The grounds for I don't. Felony th- I, I, I don't think it is a grounds for felony indictment. I'm not unless, saying it is, unless they know more than than than, than we know. No, I'm uh, not saying it is. I'm, I'm saying. saying I'm I, I think it. He was. You know, if he goes around to the states strong arming them, you could say that that's impeachable because mm. being impeachable doesn't have to be a crime. That's my point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, the um, we don't really. You know, we. we we, we we don't even know for sure that he wanted a riot. He wanted he wanted Pence to delay the vote. That's clear. But uh, did he did he want it? Did he want them to breach the Capitol? I don't think we know yet. Well, at that moment, it was, he was at a minimum recklessly endangering Pence's life so far as he knew, given yeah. what he knew. Yeah, well, that's again impeachable. But and and, and Pence, by the way, was the vice president. So, <laughs> so you're saying that you're saying that's the incitement. The incitement is. Uh, Mike, and, and, Pence, not the speech at the moment. To mall, me, that is the most oh, okay. impeachable oh, okay. thing he did that day. Well, that's and a it stronger, is impeachable. Yeah, that's a stronger. That's the strongest criminal case too. Because what he said at the mall, you read it on its face. No, that, it's not indictment. Okay. It's not incitement under the law. I agree. And he doesn't even. He doesn't even seem to think that it is going to produce a riot or or violence. I mean, he he wanted to go to the he wanted to go there himself. Why would he want to go there himself in the middle of a riot? I don't know, but I'll tell you something I'm pretty confident of. When he looked, watched on TV and these guys were swarming the Capitol and the police couldn't control him, he was in heaven. Believe me, believe me. Oh sure. Um, I don't like Trump. I mean, we're just talking criminal charges. <laughs> you um, had a funny way of showing it. So, um. What, what what was this a diversion from? You wanted to get back to Iraq, uh, Ukraine, uh, Ukraine. Sorry. Or but but if there are other things you want to do first, um, well, the, I have two points about the Santas. Okay. Uh, do I have two points? I have two points about the Santas. What uh, is? Uh, he has a reputation as a can-do governor, in part because he runs a tight ship in Florida doesn't tolerate leaks, uh, appoints his people to various positions of power. Mm-hmm. So he runs the state the way a governor is supposed to run the state. He can't do that in the federal government because 
you only have 5,000 or so appointees in a workforce of half a million about, and uh, maybe it's more than that, uh, but uh, you don't have enough appointees to go around. You can't control the government. Uh, the rest are civil service. The deep state flourishes behind civil service protections. Uh, things don't get done because the bureaucracy resists you and you can't control the bureaucracy, okay? Mm-hmm. The way he can in Florida. So his can-do thing is facing a big uh, problem if he actually becomes president. Uh, Trump ha- also also had this problem. Part of the problem was Trump just being not knowing what to do and being, you know, feckless and willing to substitute words for actions. But even when he tried to take actions, he was frustrated. And, and his solution is this thing called Schedule F. He wants to create a new schedule uh, in the federal government for policymaking positions uh, where he gets to appoint them and uh, and gets to fire them basically at will. Uh, that's actually a good idea. It's an old Washington Monthly idea. Trump wants to do 50,000 of these. About uh, That's the estimate that's floating around, uh, as opposed to 5,000. That's maybe a little too, few too many. So some some place between five and 50 is probably about right for now. We can always increase it later. But that's not a bad plan. It's going to the the uh, establishment is going to rise up as one to uh, protest it because they know what Trump will do with it. But, uh, you know, 20,000 appointees, you elect a president that that seems quite reasonable. It requires overturning a ridiculous the world's worst Supreme Court decision, Elrod versus Burns, which says you can't fire somebody just because they disagree with your policy, because that's a violation of their First Amendment rights. Totally insane. Uh, so, um, but that can be done. Uh, and and uh, so DeSantis has endorsed the Trump plan. So that's the way he gets around. He knows that he's not going to be able to control the government. But the idea that he's going to actually achieve Schedule F is probably pretty far-fetched. So they agree on this. They agree on this, yes. And uh, and, and uh, DeSantis is, knows he has a problem. He can't run the United States the way he runs Florida. But I don't think... I don't think he's going to be able to surmount that. So I lapsed for a second. These are so these these are jobs that now is it that you appoint them and can fire them or or that they are to begin with civil service jobs, but you can fire them or what? It's it's it, it is right now. They're civil service jobs. You can fill them, but you can't fire them once they're in, uh-huh. uh, except for you got 5000 jobs in the plum list. I think it's called. That, that are basically political appointees and they, they sort of quit every, they quit with the changeover of administrations. Um, there, but there is this crazy Supreme Court case hovering in the background that says maybe if it looks like an ordinary non-civil service job, you still can't fire them. Okay, the Trump plan would let you do two things. One, you can move existing civil servants into this Schedule F where you can fire them. So Ooh. everybody in the civil service is at threat to being moved into this fireable position. And the second, once he appoints them, he can fire them or she can fire them. I think because, I'm against it. So wait, Trump, so Trump could pick 50,000 civil servants and fire them. He could just move them into the, if he wants to fire them, he just moves them into these positions and fires them. Correct. God, I mean, 50,000 is too much, but he has to be able to control. He's elected president. He should be able to control the things the president's supposed to be able to control. What's it, what's an example? Uh, and there, there is a um, what's an example of an actual policy thing where the president wants to do something and he just can't do it because it's civil servants. What what what's what it what what could Trump have done? Every uh, well, uh, you know, there are a whole lot of uh, uh, non people below the secretary level at the Department of Homeland Security that resisted his his border uh, policies. Uh, he should have been able to replace them. Like what, uh, the, the like assistant what secretary, policy? The assistant secretary level is uh, where the the rubber meets the road in terms what of... What policy did he want executed that they just said, sorry, not going to do it? Oh, there are a lot of them. I mean, the, the, the you know, he wanted to... Uh, he was desperate to uh, uh, change the rate at which uh, uh, the the hearing officers find uh, that uh, migrants who show up illegally meet the 
the the initial uh, bar for seeking asylum. I think it's credible fear. Mm-hmm. It was 70 percent. He was desperate to get it to at least 50 percent. So only half of them got in. OK. And he couldn't do that. Uh, the the you know, he, he, there was a constant fight about the refugee levels. Uh, the 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 you know the 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 border wall he faced resistance to, uh, you know from the and 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 the and the you know the 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 border patrol you know wanted their wall. They like walls that needs a lot of border patrol people to uh, you know to man it. Uh, you know, he's got to be able to replace the top people of the border patrol, not just the head, but the people. Enough people under the head so that he reaches his tentacles deep down into the bureaucracy. I'm a I'm a defender of the Charlie Peters fifty fifty plan, which says, every, you know, half of the civil service should be political going forward. Uh, you know, grandfather all the people over there, but uh, but every new appointee, ha- you know, one for the civil service, one for the political spoil system. Uh, I'd like to hear if Charlie's sticking with that plan now that he's imagining a, a Trump in the White House, but. Well, keep in uh, mind, anyway. everybody's everybody's grandfather. So the deep state's got a while to run. So we talk a little. Uh, I, I I I wish I knew more about the examples you cited. I've got a feeling that I might be able to argue somewhat successfully, but I don't. So you win, I guess, for the time being. So on Ukraine. Um, so what's going on? So first of all, uh, Bakhmut. You know, I've been talking about all the second guessing of the decision to try to hold it uh, rather than retreat to the nearby higher ground. Um, second guessing continues and it has reached such prominence that even mainstream media is covering it. And the Wall Street Journal had a piece where the head of uh, U- Ukraine's land forces was defending the decision. Um, I, I, I thought the CW was shifting. Now it looks like. Uh, you know, the Wagner Group guy is focusing on Africa, having failed in Bakhmut. The Russians are sending ancient 1940s era battle tanks because they've run out of tanks. Ukraine is readying its spring offensive because, the, the you know, the Russians have been so weakened around Bakhmut, they can attack elsewhere. Uh, uh, I, I, I sense the shift in the ties, but maybe I don't read as much as you do. Um. I don't think really insiders are relaxing their criticisms. I'll give you an example. Um, there was an exchange yesterday where there's a guy, what's his name? Tatarigami. He identifies on Twitter as a Ukrainian reservist. I think that's accurate. Uh, I've, I've been following him for some time. Clearly pro-Ukraine, but, but not uncritical. Very smart. And he's arguing with some guy. There is a guy defending the policy, but the guy who's defending the policy is a total clown. I've followed him too. He's a total fucking clown. So he's he's uh, strangely he's got a position at St Andrews in war studies or something. But he's just always struck me uh, as well, whatever. Anyway, so this guy, this Ukrainian reservist officer, says sarcastically, "Yes, the perfect strategy: keep your forces trapped." In an operative encirclement, meaning a de facto encirclement, even though it's it's, it's uh, technically incomplete. And then he says, OK, so trapped in an, in an oper- operative encirclement, continue losing doctors and experienced troops attempting to enter or leave a city located in lowlands and then use r- reserves intended for a different offensive to break encirclement so you can be. And then I think I I, I failed to uh, I mean, I'll click this. I failed to fo- uh, copy the second tweet. But then I I think he says so that then you can, you know, triumphantly uh, hang on to the to the city, you know, at this huge cost and then, you know, declare yourself a hero. But um, uh, no, I think they're paying a big cost. And look, I, it may be that the Russians are becoming exhausted they are not they are making inroads. I mean, they continue to, you know, the territory only shifts basically in one direction for the most part about it, around Bakhmut, at least so far. The Russians now occupy two, you know, two thirds of the city itself. And uh, so I wouldn't if, say it's looking great for Ukraine. Yeah. If you were Russia, wouldn't you throw your expendable troops at it and keep your best troops for the offensive uh, in other areas? Well, they threw a lot of the expendables, the former prisoners. Yeah. Um, right. 
And they, well, oh. they're still throwing them, I think, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I mean, but, but one reason I still question the decision to keep trading Ukrainian lives for these prisoners is it's not just that Russia considers them expendable. It's that they are on six-month contracts, and they're, and then they can do whatever they want. And, and a lot of them are like, you know, the big recruiting was about five and a half months ago. These guys are not going to stick around and be in your way when you do your offensive. They're about to go back to Russia. Let them go back to Russia and continue to rob houses and stores, you know? <laughs> Let them return to their lives of crime. I don't know. The other thing is that, that there's this... Uh, City You're called, it, yeah. In the middle of battle, they well go ahead with your point. No, I'm just saying, you know, some guys, if you don't kill them, they're gonna haunt you for six months a year. These guys, you don't kill them, they're gonna haunt you for about another 10 days, and then they're gonna leave because they're because their contracts expire. In the middle of the battle, they're gonna say, Okay, sorry, my contract's up. See you later. I'm heading for Moscow. If I were them, I'd be keeping <laughs> track of the six months. Yes. Oh, I'm sure they are, but uh it was a deal. I, it's the, the, you have an officer behind them with a gun train on them. I think they might. Oh, I, I, I think the Russians honor the deal. It's six months. Um, but anyway, the, law uh, strikes again. You know, the argument is you're losing all these guys who could have been used in the offensive. You're probably, you know, this town of Abdivka, non-trivial significance, is being encircled and probably wouldn't be if you hadn't diverted resources uh, from it. It's not a huge. It's not a huge thing. I'm just saying this continues to be a criticism now. An interesting thing is, you know, the Douglas McGregor thesis is maybe tested sooner than we thought. That thesis, his claim is, you know, if you ask him, well, why didn't Russia do as much on this offensive as soon as you predicted? He says, well, the winter was not a true winter. The ground didn't stay frozen for long, so they couldn't make the advances. But wait, after the muddy season is over, you wait, you'll see. Well, the muddy season is may not last as long as it usually does. It was a low precipitation winter. I just saw that the last week was drier than usual. So it may just be a few weeks before we see whether McGregor's right or not. Um, and if you don't, once it dries out, if you don't see big Russian advances, uh, I guess that means he was wrong. And then the question is whether Ukraine will, uh, you know, do their, is in, is in position to do the offensive earlier than anticipated if it does get drier sooner than people thought. There was, um, there was also this uh, basically uh, long-distance debate between DeSantis and Zelensky. Zelensky tried to counteract the DeSantis claim that it was just a territorial dispute. And uh, I thought his I, I didn't think his argument was all that strong. It was the old, you know, if if, if I heard it right, it was the old, you, we are fighting him here so you don't have to fight him there argument, which I've never, you know, nobody in America has bought for a long time, I don't think. Actually, Adam, uh, what's, Adam Schiff said the exact, that exact thing. But it is and, crazy, uh, of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Putin has shown that he's not as much of a threat as we had thought. He's not about to land in Florida with his uh, 1940s era tanks and his, his uh, you know, it said in the Wagner group. So it, it, it's, he's less of a threat even to his neighbors. I do buy the argument that if he had, if he had taken Ukraine easily the way he thought he was going to take, he might have been emboldened to go after some other countries in the area. Uh, but that's also not a threat to us. And, I, and now I, we know different. Yeah, so I, I don't think so. But I, I all for all, all the forces are, are, are uh, uh, arrayed in favor of a negotiated settlement uh, in which Ukraine gives up some territory and in exchange for some sort of security guarantee. I mean, we'll uh, see. And the rule of law is violated and you swallow hard and eat it. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see what happens with this uh, offensive, uh, which, again, I'm not that optimistic about, but... Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, Europe, Europe, uh, I guess this is significant, pledged a million artillery shells over the next year for Ukraine. That's about the rate of total artillery shell expenditure of last year for Ukraine. Um, and America's making 20,000 a month. And I assume America's going to dip into its stockpiles in preparation for the offensive. So I, you, you never know what, you know, one thing I've wondered is like, are they saving some surprise weapon for the offensive? 
Because, you know, these weapons, when they introduce a new weapon like the HIMARS, eventually the, the Russians adjust and then they're not so powerful. But, you know, you have success for a while. And I'm wondering if there's uh, something we don't know about. Maybe the the long-awaited switchblades, uh, switchblade drones. Um, although apparently, I mean, it could be they're having some effect now because it turns out the uh, the U.S. Uh, refuses to let video from them be released or video of them be released. So they could be doing some damage we don't know about. But uh, sure. yeah, it, do they have it? it you know, whenever we fight a war, we have all these high fancy weapons in it, and the weapon that actually is used and effective is the old A-10 Warthog, which we've now discontinued production of. Uh, isn't there a way to get Warthogs in the hands of the Ukrainians? <laughs> no, they're, they're slow. They, they're slow, but they go along the battle line and kill enemy troops. I mean, you know. I don't know about the Warthog effective. situation. I mean, you know, air power, traditional air power hasn't been all that meaningful i think you know it's been much more about drones and both both sides uh have been reluctant to use their planes aggressively because they keep getting shot down i think okay um i you, you would have thought that the warthog would have you know gone out of business is this a rick hertzberg is this a rick hertzberg talking point warthogs I, I i can't hear what you're saying because my earplugs fell out Okay, well, I'll just continue to give me a second. I, I was saying, is this a Rick Hertzberg talking? I remember Rick talking about Warthogs in a New Republic editorial meeting. It's sort of a, you know, it's a Jim Fallows. It's anybody. It's a, I see. Yeah. It's a Jim Fallows. Anybody who's followed the war talking point, mm. and it's 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 the classic case where it maybe it's now finally obsolete, but it's the classic case of a weapon the Pentagon wanted to kill so it could focus on the ultra expensive high tech cost over on weapons that didn't work. Uh-huh. Okay. And and the Marines and the army people who had actually fought in the war said, no, we want the war dog. Okay. Uh you know, it's 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 hard to shoot down. It's heavily heavily armored. Yeah. But I imagine a, a missile could shoot it down. Oh yeah. Britain is giving uh giving Ukraine depleted uranium ammo and that caused a little bit of a uh Putin uh, and Medvedev were talking as if that's ground for launching a nuclear weapon, but it's kind of not not a very close comparison. I mean, there there are questions about whether uh, depleted uranium is a health hazard to troops who handle it and civilians after the war, but it isn't. It isn't like a nuclear weapon. Yeah. I I have one more dissent point. How long have we been going? Uh, the alarm just went off, which means you're supposed to be yeah. wrapping it up. But but hit us. Go ahead. Uh, it's become clear to me. I I like the Sanus. Uh, I don't think. I think he needs some fine-tuning. I don't think putting points on the board, which is how he describes his style of government, is it isn't the vision of a driving dream that uh, you need to run for president. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the vision of a very effective governor who puts points on the board, but and, a, and an ex-athletic uh, coach. But you need something more than that, I think. He has to describe what sort of society he wants and how he's going to achieve it. Uh, but um, that's that's not a problem. The problem is his voice. People are annoyed by his voice. Hmm. If he had a different voice, he'd be, you know, the he'd be elected president by acclamation. Doesn't He's, he have like an earthy, you know, kind of regular guy's voice? No, he has a whiny voice. No, no whiny, I, have a, I have a whiny voice and I don't sound anything like him. He makes you sound like Jeffrey Holder. That's bullshit. No, he sounds much more. <laughs> no, he sounds much he more earthy nasal, and manly than me. He has a nasal. He is more have earthy a nasal, and manly. I am more nasal than him. No way. Oh, come on. Quien es más nasal? You Yo. are less nasal. Yo um, soy más, más <laughs> We pronounce it nasal in Espanol. Uh, he, um, everybody says this. The man on the street says it. The political ponchos say it. I, I keep wondering. They say, some, wait, 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 wait. Isn't they there some say, secret sinus surgery he could have or some voice training to like lower his voice or to get rid of that nasal overtone? Whether it's like you or not. Yeah. You know, maybe you're annoying too, Bob. Maybe you should have the surgery. <laughs> this is the first um, time this is occurring to you? Uh, <laughs> I don't think of you as a nasal person. I think of him as a nasal person. Huh. Um, so, um, Well, then why am I not a big broadcasting star? I thought this is what was holding me back. I thought this was the no. only thing that was holding me no. back. That no. and you. Those two things. Those are the only <laughs> two things I thought were holding me back. Yeah. Um, I think it's the man bun. Do you have a man bun? 
these days? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, boomers should was, not have man but buns. But I was making no, getting no traction long before I had a man bun. So that, <laughs> okay. that explanation doesn't work. Uh, anyway, I just think something as crude as that, there should be a fix to it. I mean, Abraham Lincoln, you know, do I yeah. have a beard? Do I not have a beard? Do I wear a top hat? He, he went through exquisite calculations as to what would appeal well, you know, apparently, to the population. And you, DeSantis is allowed. He's allowed. He changed the pronunciation of his name. Uh, exactly. He's, he's allowed. He's a, he used to be DeSantis. He's allowed to make changes. Apparently, pretty recently, a, he was saying DeSantis, yeah. right? He's allowed to have Botox. He's allowed to dye his hair blonde. This is Why America. did he change the way he pronounced his name? Be what you want to be. DeSantis sounds Southern. What's wrong with that? Uh, hi, I'm Ron it sounded effe- I Really? Okay, it sounded affected to me, but maybe it's just because I'm used to the DeSantis part. Well, he's running in the north, so he has to appeal to northern Italians and Catholics, and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, all these chief considerations he should be allowed to make, and I just think he maybe underestimates the extent to which people are annoyed by his voice. I've got a feeling Trump may eventually mention this name change thing. If he has well, his minions, are, his minions are already mentioning it. Yeah, his his uh blogging his army of influencers who may okay. or may not be paid. So, I don't know. It seems like I had uh, more I wanted to say. It's kind of like life. You know, you get to start approaching the... On Ukraine? No, yeah, but I don't I don't think... There haven't been big developments. You know, uh, it's, you know, on balance moving in Russia's direction, but very, very slowly, uh, you know, nothing, nothing to brag about yet. This- this guy Loyola, if I have his name right, says two things. He says, we're giving military aid without a strategy in a way that is designed to cause a long-term stalemate, keep the war going forever. It's basically the, it's basically the, Viet, the Vietnam stalemate machine. We don't let them attack Russia. We don't let them do the things that might actually win uh, or lose. We let them avoid losing. Now, avoiding losing is a victory for Ukraine, but still... It means it goes on for a long time. The other thing is uh, he's worried that Russia will just declare a ceasefire and say, okay, we're declaring a ceasefire where we are. We're taking the territory we have. Uh, you know, do you want a ceasefire or do you want to keep the war going? Yeah. And that that puts, uh, puts us in a bind. I mean, I'll know I'll know Ron DeSantis is on my foreign policy team when he starts talking about the various unwise things we did that made this war uh, much more likely. And had we not been doing them for a couple of decades, there probably wouldn't be a war right now. That's when I'll start singing his praises. Um, Bob, mm-hmm. elections are about the future. You're right. That's coming why, from your end. Is that why theory? Has, why has why has Alexa responded? Alexa, oh, stop. That's Alexa. What did I say? What did I say? Did I say her name? I didn't say her name. Uh, future. I don't know. She so who Mickey, cannot be named. So Mickey, if people have have not had enough of us, uh, and some have, and that's perfectly understandable. But they probably checked out a long time ago. They have. They haven't because they can't find us. I I try to describe people how to find this free podcast. And I give up in despair. It's the right show on blogging heads. No, no, it's no, non-zero. no, no. Name of the podcast is non-zero. Non-zero. Right. I, I, that, but I, Search I, non-zero I, on your podcast app. It's not as complicated as you're making it sound. And then what do they look for? It's on that feed. It's on that. It's is one the of pod- the many podcasts on that feed. It's one of two a week. Okay. It's 50% of the podcasts on that, on the, on the public feed. On the public okay. non-zero feed, I'll try that. Do um, <laughs> the uh, uh, now anyway. Then on the other, there's also the parrot room, which is only on the special person's feed. Uh, you can find us at Patreon.com/slash Parrot Room. Uh, what are we going to talk about this week, Mickey? Did you see everything everywhere all at once? I did. Good. We'll talk about that. I have a um, lot to say about that. That speaks to me, man. And uh, uh, and I have okay. a prediction about whether it spoke to you, but we'll get to that in the pair room. Okay. Uh, we, yeah, we both saw that movie. Um, it uh, the last half hour was 
I well, that was part of my prediction, so I was, got that right. Okay, akin, akin to Guantanamo level torture. Um, the uh, I was going to predict that Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, there's a few more things to a few more points to make about that. Mm-hmm. The banking system is not out of the woods. Systemic problems have been revealed. Uh, there is should we abandon the word woke? There is a lively debate about that, or a one-sided debate about that anyway. Uh, there's uh, the Biden veto of the uh, ESG rules, which is environment something and governance, uh, and it's a, a proposed change to the uh, fiduciary laws governing pensions and the the Congress, uh, with the help of Democrats, bipartisan vote, uh, decided to throw out these rules and Biden vetoed it so the rules win. I think that reveals a systemic flaw in the government. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the, com- the demise of the Camaro. The car? The car is... Well, they, they've, well they've, don't I, leave it in the log room. They've, okay. They're... It's going out of production. I can say that. Um, uh, That's what we call a plot spoiler in the in the in the parent room business. Um, um, there's um. That's sad. Well, I'll talk about. Well, that. well there's, there's more to it. There's more to the story than that. Okay. It's like it's like everything, everywhere, all at once. It's it, just when you think it's dying, it's got another half hour to run. Ooh, uh, well done. There's uh, um, lab life late. on asteroids. Life on asteroids. Uh, I think that I think I have to ask you. Mean because a- asteroids, not steroids. Asteroids. Asteroids have been discovered to have the building blocks of DNA on them, which, to my mind, uh, supports the panspermia thesis, which you talked about in your book. Directed panspermia. But I may be wrong. Uh. I want to, yeah, I want to talk panspermia. I think okay. it's time we got cosmic. What with this AI, AI stuff coming down our heads. I would and, like to um, talk about AI a little and TikTok a little. What else are you going to talk about? Well, that's plenty because I have, I have yeah. to, I have to cover these. There are other things that we can talk about. Perhaps uh, some quantum physics-like, completely baseless, uninformed speculation on my part. No such thing as too much of that. Uh, I, I pr- had promised to explain why I tweeted a couple of weeks ago that I had uh, changed my estimate of the probability of the lab leak hypothesis from above 50% to below 50%. I'm going to explain that. I'm you also got a lot of grief ex- for that. I'm also going to explain why it's edging back toward 50%. You got uh, grief for that, because like Ron DeSantis, you're going with the way the crowd goes. That's me. I'm a weather vane. No, I'll explain it all. and also. Uh, I, have like a, said, yeah. I have a word for politicians like that, which what I will reveal in the paragraph. Oh, boy. It's a quantum physics word. Oh, boy. Quantum physics word. Um, well, probability waves. Uh, yeah, I, I, you, you, you'll, you'll, if you think about it, you'll guess it, but um, don't think about it. Wave particle dualities? Uh, close. Uh, so, um, and then I'm going to defend myself against your, against your charges that I had built an island of the dicks. Okay. Um, that one, that one hit close to home. Uh, and it's such a scurrilous allegation. Okay. You can, if you can show somebody who was on the island of the dicks who has successfully escaped. Um, escape from that would be a of powerful dicks. argument. Yeah, would be, wouldn't it? Okay, <laughs> I'll think about that. Okay, uh, so okay, patreon.com slash payroom. And you know, you can always, even if you don't want to go, or if you do, you can smash the like button right now on this, on YouTube, if you're on YouTube. If not, you could rate and review the Non-Zero Podcast. Um, and in any event, when in Princeton, eat at Hoagie Haven, and, uh, and go Tigers. Bula, bula. I think that's Yale is, classically, isn't is it? Is that oh really? Well, yeah. The Tigers, the Tigers do this. They do the fascist uh, salute thing, yeah, kind of. The wing I, that's not fascist. Yeah, the wing. They they, they they touch their hearts with their wings. 
Uh, there you go. The parrot is doing the Christmas salute. Yeah. yeah, the parrot is doing the Christmas salute. Not parrot. <laughs> That's any parrot. That's what you get in the parrot room, folks. We'll see you there.